four of us. Is the um, is it going to be video as well as video? Yeah, nothing. I don't care. I'm just you look good. Well, Let's very look good. good. You're looking real good. Thank you, man. Dan's in Hawaii. Uh, look recording. at that. Oh, this is the Pacific Northwest, I think. Northwest. Oh, so we're recording. Let me uh, let me do the introduction. This is live from the table, the official podcast of New York's world famous comedy cellar, coming at you on the Ridecast Podcast Network. This is the bonus episode. This is Dan Natter, and I'm here with Doug Davidoff and Perry L. Ashen, Brand, the producer. And we have a guest today. We don't always have guests on the bonus episode. Today we do. His name is Todd Barry. Is it good that I'm a not, you don't usually have guests, or is this like where you just put the secondary guests? This is a special honor. <laughs> that we, in other words, we're very selective. Okay, we don't, just, we don't just put people on because well we need a guest. We say well who would contribute in a in a in a in a uh, substantial way. By the way, Perry, I wanted me to mention that I'm not I'm not in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, I didn't think just so. a virtual background. I assume yeah, I figured that. knew that. Todd certainly <laughs> did, but maybe it's there are people at, at home. Oh, I see. And I we're also, by the way, you can watch us on YouTube in addition to uh, the Ridecast Podcast Network. Hello, everybody. Hi, um. Jet Juanita or Noam is joining us right now. It looks oh, like. Really? Hold on. Oh, okay. Well, uh, that is a, a a nice surprise. Let's see who's here. <laughs> a nice surprise. Probably uh, Noam or neither or nobody. We have an empty room coming at us and a dog. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't know what that's about. But anyway, uh, Todd, I haven't seen you literally since before the pandemic, either on video. I maybe I might have seen you at Rachel Feinstein's baby shower. On yeah, Zoom. yeah, I didn't. Uh, I didn't get a word in on that one, but uh, that was more of a that was like a roast. Rachel yeah, I also laid. I laid back to be fair. I didn't try that hard. Well, it is odd when you have about thirty or forty people on a Zoom. Usually, right. when you have thirty or forty people at a function, you can pair off, and I could right. talk to. Dove about what I want to talk to Dove about, and you, you would talk to who, you know, but when it's everybody, it's much more difficult, and it became like a roast, everybody jumping in, insulting everybody. I, I stayed on for two hours, too, man. That was, was two draining. Hours? Yeah, I mean, I love Rachel and everyone involved, but it's, you know, it's not easy. Well, uh... That's painful. <laughs> this is Hi, not easy. Is one hey, how you doing, Juanita? Hi, everybody. Hey, Juanita. Well, this is, we have two guests, so this is unusual. Uh, this is unusual. What are you guys up to? What are we talking about today? Juanita, you did you look good? What? You look good. You look very healthy. You look good. You look sun, sunny and fresh and, and um, uh, vibrant. Oh, thank you. You don't mind the gray? No, I like the gray. It's very distinguished. It checks off the, your, your radiance. This is Juanita Dwarman. She is the wife of the comedy seller owner, Noam Dwarman. And uh, she joins us today from the Dwarman home in, I guess, Westchester County. Is that, is that correct? Yes, oh, yes. <laughs> Todd, we haven't seen you in a while. I mean, everybody wants know. to know what is going on with Todd Barry in lockdown. Oh, my God. So much is going on. It's great, super fun, right? No, it's awful. Just... Uh... Just taking a lot of walks, uh, getting my feet sore. Had two podiatry appointments so far because I'm walking so much. Yeah, that like that wasn't a joke. Truth. 
What's that? Todd, are you still in the city? Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, in, I'm in the city, yeah. Oh, I'm on the Lower East Side. Get out of there, man! <laughs> I'm on the I'm on the Lower East Side as well, Juanita. I, I mean, um, but anyway, Todd, I'm I'm here on the Lower East Side. Are you um, are you a uh, full mask? Are you dealing with certain socially distant situations? Oh, I'm very I'm mask? very good about the mask, and I'm also I get very angry. I almost get angry at someone who wears it below their nose, and I do who doesn't. Someone who doesn't even wear a mask. Yeah, so I feel yeah. like Woody is trying to do a little workaround or something. It's like where you're fucking. Have at. you gotten? Have you gotten together? Like I'll meet up with Dan and a couple of people, and then we create, you know, enough social space that we take the mask off, like in the park. Have you gotten together with anybody? Or are you? I've you done that. Yeah I've, yeah, I've done a few uh, dinners and outside drinks, which I don't know if it's super safe, but I think Todd, from what I hear uh, that outside, uh, it's hard to uh, transmit it outside, but that's just what I read. And they seem to change. Yeah, uh, that's what I think. Every day. I went to the comedy cellar, the olive tree last night, just to see who was there. I, sp- I stopped by a couple of times as well. I made a special trip, but David Tell was there. Uh, oh, yes, he was uh, big J. Okerson, Ari Shafir. Um, and yeah. was everybody were they just sitting out out front sort of hanging out or was there other some unifying event that that drew everybody there? they were just out they were just hanging out out front people just go there i uh i went there alone but uh but i think dave and uh big j and and big j's girlfriend uh oh, wow. there, and they all i think and ari shafir and um so, I'd like you know, to stop by. I'd like nice to, to see by. people. You know. Yeah, I think that's where all the comedians are like meeting up and just hanging out and saying hi. Yeah, if you show up and someone or will be there. Somebody will be there, know. and if you're lucky, it's somebody that uh, that you can roll with. Yeah. yeah. Or you can make plans ahead of time. But I like the surprise element. I like pod luck. You never know. Am I going to get somebody interesting, <laughs> or is it going to be? Is it going to be people? Is it going to be a Natterman night? You know, <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> How did Not you get there? What's that? How did you get there? I used a subway. Wow. And distancing. Cool. I haven't been on the subway once. Is it safe? I've been well, in a I couple of Ubers. You know, we'll have to ask me after the incubation period is over if it's safe. Have you been tested? <laughs> I haven't been have tested. Have you all been tested? I'll put it no, out to everyone. No, no, I haven't been tested. I've been tested been three in? times. Yeah, oh, because antibody or regular test? Regular test. And I haven't left really? the house. <laughs> where do you get these tests? Where do you go to get tested, Juanita? Yeah, the first time I got tested in New Rochelle when that whole outbreak happened. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was a lot in Westchester. Took my whole family in that minivan, eight of us, and we all got tested on the drive-thru. All tested negative. And then, um, well, maybe I only got tested twice. I just got tested a, a week ago with my mother. Wow. She- Came over, she was feeling nauseous, and uh, we were like, oh my God, it's COVID. We got tested, and it turns out I food poisoned her. The, the Dwarmans are very cautious. I know that uh, they're mostly staying in the house. Has Noam gone, has he gone to the comedy cellar in all, in all this time? Yeah, he's gone, he's gone outside to see what's going on. Has he gone to the Olive Tree, to the comedy cellar? Well, there's no comedy cellar. There's oh, just- has he been out there eating outside, so has he gone to the sidewalk? He's gone for like five minutes. Right, because he was being very cautious. Because he's building up. Because I'm, I'm told that you have asthma. Is that correct? And then so that's. Uh, 
I don't have asthma. I have like a, a I was mitral valve prolapse, which is not really not supposed to be anything. I have a small heart condition and I have, um, I'm pre-diabetic. So he's just really nervous about it. Well, Todd has a cat. <laughs> <laughs> Todd, you've been spending a lot of time with your cat. Uh, yeah, we're, uh, oh, he's so cute. Yeah, let's see. A sweet cat. Yeah, I, mean, I never got along with cats, but um, why not? You seem like a guy would have a cat. Nonsense, Dan's all man. That cat think, looks bored out of his think, mind. I think the cats know that I'm onto them, and so they don't. They, they, uh, oh, they're, they're, they don't fool me, so they're a little. Cats resentful. aren't on. You're oh, not onto them nearly as much as they are onto you, man. Well, we're onto each other, and so there's a mutual distrust. <laughs> I have I have had dreams where I'm in fights with cats. You know, it, it enters really? my subconscious. So, yeah. I, Dan? Have you, yes, uh, Periel has a question. Periel, you say I what? I feel like you're burying the lead here a little bit. What's the lead? Well, then you, then by all means, dig it up. Dig up that lead. You were on the subway. I mean, yeah. no, I haven't yeah, been right. on the subway in five fucking months. What is going on? Don't gloss over it. It's, it's why, why? I, I can't believe you're taking the subway. Well, it was either that or, or well, the bus, you could, t but t it's, it's kind of far. Or I could have taken a Revel moped, but I feel uneasy on those things. Yeah, don't <laughs> do that. I think my safety is better, better served. Well, the city bike's kind of, especially, it's very, very hot right now. The city bike is a, is a, is a bit far. There are electric city bikes, but they're impossible to find. I, I've been trolling city bike on Twitter because they have so few electric city bikes that I'm on Twitter and I say things to them like, uh, what, do you, what do you call a, an electric city bike that's, that's at a nearby station when you need one? Uh, uncharged. Things like that. Wow, I didn't know uh, they had electric. I didn't know that either. Yeah, there's electric city bike, but almost, it's almost impossible to find one. Maybe they can sponsor you if anybody from City Bike is listening right now. Dan, where were you traveling Dad, that you took the, the subway? To the olive tree, to the comedy cellar slash. Oh, okay, all right. oh my lord! I so kept from the upper side. Noam, oh. Noam is uh, he is wearing no shirt. No, how you don't know? Why do you guys have shirts on? Pardon? Why do you guys have shirts on? It's shirt. It's shirt day off. Hello, Mila. That's Noam's daughter, Mila. Hi, Mila. How you doing? Everybody go talk to mommy. Everybody come talk to mommy. Wait, who's the other person with the long hair? This is my niece, Gianna. Oh, cousin Gianna, I met you. How do you yeah. do? You look a lot like your cousin Mila, but I don't want to get yeah, bogged like down. Twins. I don't want to get bogged <laughs> down into Dorman family uh, minutiae. Because I don't know that our listeners, uh, you know. Girls, Dan Yetterman has been taking the train to the olive tree. Is that nuts? Should he, be got, should he be on the train? Don't brainwash your daughter. Let her think for herself. Have you taken an Uber at all? Anyone? I've anyone taken, taken Ubers, Uber? taxis, and trains. What are you wearing on the train? Gloves? A hazmat? I don't, I, what do you wear? I, I wear a... Dan is a woman uh, now. He wears a light sundress, and um, he, he's been thinking about that over the book. I've been wearing a mask, and I keep my social distance. Such a distance. And what are the... Car is the subway empty or, or crowded? The subway's medium. It's not crowded and it's not empty. It's medium. Um, so. I mean, do you, it doesn't feel crazy? It does not feel crazy, but you know, with each passing day, you become, and I've talked about this before, 
you, you get, you go a little bit further, you know, it's like anything in life. You, at first it seems crazy to do something and then you get used to it and then you keep going and going a little bit further, a little bit further. Like the first time you shoplift, you're a little nervous, um, but you do it. And the second time, you know, and before you know it, you're robbing a bank, but it's gradual. I was so, going to make that same right. joke that you just made. <laughs> so congratulations. Well, crazy is also relative, you know. I mean, Dan's been on the edge for a long time. A little trip on the subway is not. But you know, happen. I mean, we have to eventually start living. Uh, yes. Doesn't mean we have to start being crazy, but we have to yeah. start living. And, and this, the, the the vaccine is probably not coming for another year, year and a half. What are we supposed to do? Well, we're supposed to put on masks um, and, you know, yeah. really do it for the next two to four weeks. So this can fucking what happen. What happens in two to four weeks? It's going to make it okay to then all of a sudden uh, be well, more relaxed about it. I'd like to reiterate that the United States has, a, and Doug, please correct me if I'm wrong, but if I'm not mistaken, the United States has approximately 4% of the world's population and 25% of um, COVID cases. So and, and, and at what percentage of COVID cases would you say we can we can take the subway? It why, did you fact check, why did you fact check that with Doug? Because I feel oh. like he's not knowledgeable and sort of worldly. <laughs> Dub's a, a poser. <laughs> I'm not posing. I'm posing. You can tell from that. I'm not posing as a physician. <laughs> he walks around. With, he grabs a, he buys a used paperback and walks around. Yeah. With I would say that a number that is more commensurate with our percentage. Commensurate is not even a word. Commensurate um, is a word. Commensurate is a word, as it so happens. Yeah, but not commensurate. Todd, have you been, have, now there's a lot, a lot of people, uh, you know, uh, talk about their uh, using this time in lockdown for, to be productive. Todd, uh -huh. Dan wrote a novel. That's what? correct. Really? I'm editing it now. Holy uh, shit. And if it, uh, yeah. if it's as successful as my other writing projects, uh, you'll never, <laughs> you'll never see it anywhere. Do you Let's have uh, someone to show it to or like an agent well, or anything? Dan no, is I a young I'd like to read it. I have not known. Oh, well, send I, it out to your agent. For I got to go through this first uh, pass of uh, edits, and then I can send it out to people on a select basis. So you wrote, um, you wrote a full novel. Philip Roth. I wrote a full novel. I started a year ago, and but the, because of COVID, I not that my look. Let's face it. I got free time with or without COVID, but COVID <laughs> gave me even even more free time, and I was able to work on it. Are you submitted uh, cold to people? How are you going to how well, are you going to work I, it? I don't know. First, I'll give it to some selected people uh, to uh, give their opinion. And then I, I do know a couple of agents. For example, our friend Karen Burgreen, uh, her agent I know, I've met. Ah, there you Karen go. Burgreen's a comic that published a couple of novels, actually. So I know her. Iris Spiro, before COVID. Dan is like a young Saul Bellow, a young Philip Roth. Well, I think they were probably younger than me when they wrote their uh, most more famous work. Dan but, is a little older than they were when they wrote first, but Dan's work is more mature. It's got but seasoning. I'm, I'm, I'm younger now. So, Tom, the question I have for Todd Barry is what yes. have you been working on? I've and, been working on a screenplay, uh, which is going to tear up Hollywood now that no movies are being made. <laughs> um, and I'm doing my first set ever tomorrow. Oh wow! Yeah, outside in Brooklyn. Yeah. Is it like a, yeah. I did a set at the Stand about a, three nights ago, the Stand Comedy Club. They have uh, shows outside on the sidewalk. How was it? It wasn't bad. You know, it wasn't bad. I mean, it, they, were you rusty? 
How many people yeah, like, like, hold on the sidewalk? This oh, is- wow. I don't know. There maybe 30 people. And, and um, yeah, it was a little bit rough. Like, I forgot some of my jokes. And, like, I would tell a joke. I'd be like, oh, shit, I forgot how this goes. Uh, but safe? I only had to do 10 minutes, so it wasn't that big a deal. If I had to do an hour, it would have been, or 45 yeah. minutes, it would have been a big problem. I just canceled a ton. I was on my way to Arizona. To oh my do God. And stand up live last weekend. And then when I went on the New York City.gov website, they said that I would have to quarantine for 14 days upon returning. And obviously I, I, I canceled, but I didn't know how I was going to do 45. Oh, you wouldn't have to quarantine there? I thought you'd have to quarantine there. Well, no, no, because the cases are so much higher there now than they are here. Yeah. It used to be you'd have to quarantine there, but now you have to quarantine when you get back here. I thought the agent would know. I mean, I didn't realize until I researched. Yeah, you, know, you shouldn't be going to Arizona. No, yeah, Arizona. yeah, yeah. Or Florida or Georgia. Or Texas. Yeah, or I mean, there's a no, there, there, I think there are 15 different states that if you're coming inbound to New York City from, you have to quarantine when you get here. Half the country you can't go to, including you know, California. Really safe, a safe area is Rwanda, I just read. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I yeah. They yeah. do comedy there. But seriously, their cases yeah. are very low. There's some other conflict, but you're unlikely to get COVID there. Yeah, well, one is good. Can we hear a where, little Where in Brooklyn is your gig, Todd? Where? Uh, Fort Greene Park. I don't know. Oh, in the is. park? Yeah. That seems safe. It's outdoors. How should, yeah, how should I get there, though? I live on. I live in lower Manhattan. Well, I mean, if, you're really, if you're really scared, a bike or an Uber, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to take an Uber, I think. But wear, wear a double mask. A double mask? Yeah. I've never heard of anybody wearing a double mask. Well, <laughs> I double mask. Just because you haven't heard of it doesn't mean it's not a thing. Right. <laughs> That's right. In, um, just in the Uber, though, right? Yeah, just and make sure all the windows are open. Yeah, that I know. So I went into an Uber where the guy had a uh, partition, which I thought was nice. Yeah. But yeah, then I've been in Ubers yeah. where they don't have that, and you're like, yeah. yeah. And wear gloves. Trust. Yeah, I'm going to wear gloves when I touch the filthy microphone. They say they're changing out the mics. Yeah, the stand they gave a us wrapper on it or something. At the stand they gave us each a separate mic, and then we plug it in. Yeah. And Jew, Jew that I am, it took me a little while to figure out how to plug the mic in, but I got it eventually. Um, I ate up some of my time, but uh, but yeah, everybody had a separate mic, so. Uh, I thought you made that part of the act, didn't you? <laughs> no, no. Uh, it killed, Todd. It killed. That took up five minutes. Like, to Whoa, I don't know how to use a microphone. I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit. Right? <laughs> It probably I, I didn't it didn't take me that long, but um, but yeah, it wasn't. You guys bad. watching some shows? What shows are you guys watching? Well, um, I was watching Money Heist, but I finished Money Heist. What is that? That's a show on Netflix about a group of people um, st- uh, going to the mint in the uh, you know the the mint in uh, Spain. It's a Spanish show. They go to the mint oh, okay. and they print it's money. Spanish. And then they print their own money and, and steal the money from the men. Is it a documentary or drama? No, no, it's a, it's, it's a most Dan documentary. Dan speaks all languages. Dan speaks three, four, five languages. He can pick it's it not all a docu- up. It's not a documentary at all. It's, in fact, it's utterly ridiculous and preposterous. Yeah. And, and it's completely unbelievable. And there's more, but quite a few plot holes in it. But you enjoy it nonetheless. And you let your, uh, you, you, you suspend ben. your disbelief. Is there any way you can give us a teeny tiny insight into your screenplay i know you probably don't want to talk no, i'd rather not okay okay well can you tell us the genre is it funny it's a it's a hilarious dark comedy it's funny there's parts for I, all I, of I, you have you ever uh, known anybody a cat in the lower east side the reason i chose to write a novel this time around because i've written screenplays in the past 
is because I actually know people that have published novels. I don't know a soul that's ever sold a screenplay on spec. I know people that have written screenplays because they're paid to write screenplays. I don't know anybody that's written a screenplay that doesn't already have a deal. So, I, you yeah, know. I know. Maybe he has I, a deal. He might have a deal. Yeah, yeah. I have a $10 million deal, Dan. Yeah, there you go. Well, that makes all the difference. <laughs> but uh, it, it I know, like, it's a long shot. And then just getting people to read it and, but, yeah. Well, you know, listen, it's not like a novel is any slam dunk relative to <laughs> no, a screenplay, yeah. for God's sake. No, but a novel, yeah. a novel, you know, I know people that have published novels, like I said, several people, in fact. And, you know, they, they, might get a tiny, they might get a tiny advance. I know somebody's got a fi literally $500 advance for her novel. Outside. I don't get this, Dan. You don't have a deal, but you know people who have gotten deals. So you wrote a novel because you think, because you know people who have gotten deals, you're going to get a deal. No, I, I say yeah, I got to do Dan. something. I, I got to do something. So what, what yeah. do I think is the most likely to bear fruit? And my estimation was... I think you and Todd are in the same boat. Well, don't ever say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, first of all... That boat ends up in a very dark place. The three of the five people I've on never this been panel... Like that in my life. Three of the what? five people on this panel, Wanda, have... Juanita, rather, have had book deals. Dove, of course, published his book, Road Dog. Todd oh, Barry has a book that he wrote, a memoir of yep. life on the road as That's well. Right. Perielle has two Perielle. memoirs of her sexual awakening. Sexual awakening. Neither one of those books are about any sexual awakening. Oh, she well, couldn't the cover get it. says otherwise. That's right. That's well, just marketing. Maybe not your awakening, maybe your sexual effervescence. You've already were awoken, and, and this just takes it where it we're left off. Dan, and what's your genre? So, I feel like yours is a slice of life kind of novel. Isn't my it? novel oh, has no. everything. It's got something for everybody. Oh, no. it's, it's, got, it's got something got, for everybody. Dan has, wrote, has written a, 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 a um, what do they call that? Sort of, he's, it's like a meta novel. It's a, a novel about a guy writing a memoir. You understand? Is it really? That's correct. And oh, as that far as brutal. Well, I don't even know if it looks structurally it might be a mess. And structurally it might not even work at all. But that's what they said about Moby Dick. I was ambitious. I was ambitious and so but but it, it's 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 funny, but it's also there's 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 a pathos, whatever that means. That's just a word that people use. Gravitas, pathos, Todd. <laughs> and it's got uh, it's got sex, there's sex scenes. He's connecting yeah. all through it. There's nothing this guy doesn't have in this novel. And uh, there's there's uh, poignant uh, moments. Uh, hopefully, it's got does it have a, a title, or do you not want to share it? Well, the title is, is as as Dove mentioned, Iris Spiro before COVID. That's because that's the name of the memoir within the book. Oh you see, God. you got you got psychology, you've got romance, you've got enlightenment, you've got. I would, you know what? All jokes aside, I would be a little concerned about having COVID in the title because I feel like they're going to be inundated with books with COVID in the title. Nonsense! Not a book like this. That's what they said about Moby Dick, Todd. That's what they said uh -huh. about. Uh, about hopefully, hopefully, I'll be the first. Hopefully, I'll be the first one because I was already writing it well before, well before COVID. It's, I integrated COVID in it. Before COVID. So, so um, I have an yeah, idea I, I for your, for your second book. Anyway, uh, Noam has just entered with his pajamas on. Noam has given out privilege. Noam is just. I have an idea for your second book. It can be after COVID. You can talk about all your train rides and adventures, sex on the train, all that stuff. After, after COVID. Well, it's not really written, It's not really written to be a, to to have a sequel, but that's certainly a possibility. Noam. 
Why are you wearing pajamas? That's not psychologically healthy to wear pajamas when it's broad daylight outside. <laughs> also, you can only see your chin. Can you come down you a little bit? Sit down. Sit on, um, um, sit on my why am I wearing pajamas? Because to get dressed for the next three hours, only put on my pajamas on to go to bed, <laughs> when it, it just seems silly. I just don't think it's good for you, Noam, because we've talked about this before. You got to pretend that this is normal times. So you're going to you're going to you're going to sink into a kind of a depressive state. Or am I too you're right? You're right, Dan. I mean, I mean, yeah. But I'm. I, I guess that's what that means. Put on pajamas. I guess. That's why he's got a Captain America T-shirt on. But you can't sink into a depressive. <laughs> no, state it's a match set. It's a match set. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, I was at your establishment last night, uh, the Olive Tree Cafe. What was it called? Oh yeah, the Olive. I, remember, I vaguely remember. It. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't know. You know. It, is it? Uh, I don't want. I don't like to count Noam's money, but is 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 this oh helping God. at all? Is this helping the financial situation to have it open for outside business? Or is oh, I, I no. your, did he ask you? We're gonna need donations. Oh, uh, I don't. I don't even. I don't even <laughs> money. I mean, obviously, it's pro, it's probably a loss to open up, but I just we need to be open. Comedians come and hang out. Yeah. Um, we just have to. We just have to be open. I think. I don't think we'll lose that much more by being open, but we lose. I, I don't even. I couldn't even tell you how much money we take in day to day. I don't even look at it. And no, there's no more guidance from the city in terms of some sort of capacity opening when date timeline. No, no, no nothing, nothing. Yeah. It's, it's horrible. Are we talking about racism? You can if you oh, want. Can. <laughs> we can. We we can if you'd well, like. Todd has a play, and Dan wrote a book. Todd has a play. A screenplay. Bottom is a novelist. No. Todd's a young Saul Bellow, a young Philip Roth, a novelist. You know, Carrie Ellis tried to bang the two Philip Roth. <laughs> no, no, that's what Dan takes after. Uh, Todd's a deep guy. I'm sure his, pl I'm sure his, his play is really good. Yeah. Screenplay, not a play. Nobody, does anybody <laughs> like his screenplay is really good? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. What do you think Dan's book is? Do you think it's good? Well, it's, I, 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 I can't sit like that. Dan, Dan's book should be good too, but. um. Yes. I, I think I think Todd may have um, more of a commercial sense. Dan uh, Dan may be a little uh, narrow in his. Uh... That's what they said about Moby Dick. Keep <laughs> <laughs> bringing up Moby Dick every two seconds. And this oh. is Dan's first book. This this would be my first book. Yes. Okay. No, Noam, do you have so you you have a racism uh, question or issue you'd like to discuss? Oh Lord! Uh, no, not in front of my wife. Oh. <laughs> if you can't talk about it in front of your wife. We talk about it all day. We yep. had Dennis. We had Dennis D. Young, by the way, on the last pod. You know, from Sticks. And really? He was hit, yeah. Uh, How did that he, happen? Because he's not doing anything. He also did Gilbert Godfrey. How do you track him? How do you track? Perry Perry, how'd you get Dennis D. Young? Um, you know, I I can't give away my trade secrets, you guys. He probably has a website with his actual email address on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, he also did, by the way, he also did Gilbert Godfrey's podcast, and Periel's good friends with Gilbert's wife, so maybe that's how. I don't know. Okay. But uh, that's Dennis, racism. I saw that Dennis, well, well, I'm getting to that, or maybe I'm not getting to that. I saw that Dennis was on YouTube. He was singing some of his songs from home. I thought that was interesting, so I said, Periel, can you see if Dennis DeYoung's available? Anyway, Dennis DeYoung said that him and his wife have been married for, he's only had one wife and they've been married since like 20 years old. And, and Perry said, what's the secret? And Dennis said that, well, we're both very similar. And he said that we're both, for example, uh, half Italian. And I, I, I noted that Noam and his wife do not, not have any ethnic kinship. We're, neither of us are half Italian. We have that we're in common. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's right. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> 
Well, so, I, yeah, apparently, yeah. Go ahead, sorry, Dan. Does that ever come up in your marriage, Noam, the, the racial issue? Noam's wife is Puerto Rican and East Indian. Every day. West Indian. Every day in the bubble over my head. Noam's <laughs> <laughs> on a roll. <laughs> every, day, every day I remind him of his white privilege, okay? Every day. Yeah, that's why she married when me. He says, honey, you make me a... Like, that's no, why. Do you, do you, no, we'll you make you she, she married me to get her hooks into some white privilege. <laughs> No, I'm like yeah, said, right, no. no, I'm said jokingly, not in front of my wife, but I'm wondering if you were entirely joking. Is there anything that you feel like, that you wouldn't say uh, that you might say now? Just something you wouldn't say in front of me? No. About race? No. No. But that you would say uh, in front of. Uh, no, no, my my my, my view I, my views on race are pretty well known, and and nothing. I'm. We have somewhat the same views. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing. Yeah. There's nothing that I think I, I'm embarrassed by. There, there is a time. It seems to be melting a little bit where a kind of pretty traditional liberal view on race about wanting people to, you know, be judged by the kind of their character and things like that seemed like it could get you in trouble. So I told her not to talk about it, but um, no, I don't think, I mean, we don't, we don't have any, neither of us have I any. Listened, I listened views. to Coleman. No, did you see the, the, the last, uh, there was an interview on, it's called unheard on YouTube, heard H E R D with Coleman Hughes about, it was it was entitled the moral case against Black Lives Matter, and it was an excellent conversation with Coleman. Yeah, yeah I would recommend. Now we all watch it. First of all, I, I just want to say that um, the, the the headline of that interview, just to the, to you know, he didn't. That's not his headline. And it's and it's and it's a nice. Congratulations! He completed another poly bridge level. Um, and I and I it is not a fair. Um, encapsulation of the interview to say he was making the moral case for Black Lives Matter, just just for the record. So I, I do really recommend that interview with anybody who um, is interested because he really does lay out a really powerful... Everybody owes it to themselves to, to listen to this interview because we're all, we all have these emotionally charged opinions but they're not substantiated by any data and so everybody, the, the, the narrative is an ideology and it's emotion and it's nonsense. Right. But it, it's really... Coleman doesn't have that same issue. His his opinions actually seem as though they are substantiated by arguments that can be backed up often statistically, which nobody seems guy? to be able to handle. Right. Is this the guy you said is a Todd Berry fan? Is this Coleman? I think <laughs> yeah, Todd Berry fan. Of course, seriously. Is he a Todd Berry fan? <laughs> <laughs> is he the one you told me yes. about? Him? He absolutely yes. is. Yeah. I think yeah. he called you the G word. There you. Well, there you go. Well, G, <laughs> a genius. I think he called you a genius. <laughs> um, and and listen, Coleman. <clears throat> you know, I speak to Coleman a lot, and Coleman, I can't tell you how many times he'll say to me, you think I'm wrong here? Right. Am I, I'm missing something. Do I have to rethink this? He's right. very, very humble to the idea that he might be, need to re revise his views in some way. He's, he's not like that self-assured, but he, he, he follows the, as you said, data and logic. And I guess some personal experience. He's black. Well, can you give us a tidbit on huh? what he said in that? Can you give us a tidbit of what he said in that interview that to, to say uh, wet our appetites? Well, Doug, Doug, what do you remember from it? Well, I remember hearing him making the argument that a, a lot of the over racialization of ideas and narrative and even identity politics is divisive and 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 has. Um, 
has an effect that will be counterproductive to the very reason the movements began in the first place. And so it will further divide, further disenfranchise, and further manifest itself in comorbidities, which we see all around us in this city right now. And we better be very careful about taking the tip of the spear off the streets, these plainclothes cops. I understand there may need to be a reorganization and a re-education, but you yank these guys off, homicides go up by 300% over the month of July, and, you wonder, and now there are leaders in the black community saying, we've got to get these guys back on the street. So let's be very careful about what's, what we call, Todd Barry, externalities, which are the unintended consequences of a policy or a decision. You sit there with your cat. You don't go outside. Dan's on the train. He's writing a novel. He's coming Duff, up against the neighbor, world. Duff, do your neighbors complain about you? Sorry, I apologize. <laughs> well, Dove's in a uh, – oh, no, he's not in the house right now. He's in an apartment. He, he, he was in a house previously. Yeah. Noam, are you leaving us? No. No, he's getting a did you hear your tell again? Jesus Christ. Okay, I think that Coleman... Dad doesn't want you to walk. I mean, I don't know if we want to spend this podcast on what Coleman said, but Coleman said, first of all, he, he makes the point that the data doesn't show um, uh, um, disproportionate number of uh, black people being sh- shot and killed by cops. It does show a disproportionate number of um, black people being mistreated by cops. So he, he doesn't... He, and, and he thinks that racism... Is, is part of what goes on, and he supports all measures to stop it. But he thinks that racism is only one small ingredient in our, in our problem, and that if we were to eliminate racism entirely, um, all these other problems w- would remain, and they're significant in terms of family break. Well, I don't want to say them, because I'll get tarred with having said them. You have to watch his interview. But, um, you know, he... And he lays it all out. And he also talks about how the air has become very fixed, you know, with critical race theory that white people and black people almost can't even be friends anymore. I mean, you know, like, like. Well, apparently you didn't see Sherrod Small's latest Instagram post where the two of us are sitting on a stoop uh, <laughs> in, in Greenwich Village. And, and we were getting likes up the wazoo because America needs that right now. America needs to right. see me and Sherrod Small right. sitting on a stoop together. That's Todd's like, yeah. screenplay. It's called Buddy Cup. It's not him and Sherrod. Because last night when I was down in the village going to the olive tree, I, I, I bumped into Sherrod and, and uh, we, shared a, we shared a moment. So, uh, so that, that should give America hope. But one of the things that really bugs me, and I, I know Coleman would agree, but... I think it agrees. Like when, like the mayor of Chicago tweeted out to to uh, what's her name, Ke- Kelly McEnany, or I can't, can't remember her name. Um, Calling her Karen. Says you know, watch your mouth, Karen. Yeah. So Trump's Trump's press secretary uh, made a comment about Chicago being uh, you know uh, out of control. So the the black mayor of Chicago tweets out to the white woman, watch your mouth, Karen. And I'm like, well, you know. I understand it's not painful for a white person to be called a Karen. Like I'm not, I, I don't, but isn't there something wrong with resorting to racial epithets at a high level of mayor in Chicago to come back? So they're, te- they're teaching us like, you need to, you need to talk to your children about race and you need to discuss it. And, and I agree with all that. Now, what if my daughter Mila hears the mayor of Chicago calling somebody a Karen? How do I explain to her that everything I told her about not judging people by, the, by their color, and it's wrong to pick on generalizations and, and, and all that stuff. How do I then tell her, but it's okay if the person is white? It also moves the goal 
post, Noam, in the conversation about culture. You're not allowed to have an observation if you haven't occupied another person's skin. It's the nature of cognitive bias. If you, if I'm wrong immediately for any observation that I have that is not flattering about a minority community, then how do we have an honest conversation about an observation or an idea? It moves the goalpost. If, 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 if being white is um, inevitably um, sort of prevents you from seeing things from another perspective, um, it removes you from the right to have a perspective. And so if you're Karen in that, go ahead. No, well, I, first of all, I, I want to, two things. Yeah, being white, you should be careful, I think, that you don't have the full perspective on things. I know you agree with Yes, me. of course, be careful, but don't yeah. remove you from the conversation. Right. Yeah. You, you need to be able to, to learn from other people. And, and obviously, um, you don't know, you have no idea what it's like to be black. You can imagine, um, and people with better skills at empathy will maybe imagine closer to it, but, but um, a lot of people are going to imagine it very arrogantly and just totally underestimate right. that, how traumatic that might be and how, what kind right. of anger that could cause you. But with yes. the thing with, um, but, the, but the thing is that you shouldn't, you shouldn't be punished for talking about it or expressing your opinion right. with faith, with love in your heart, even if you get it wrong. Like, you know, like even if you say something that's 100%, 180 degrees opposite of what it's like, you sh- but you're willing to have the conversation you want to learn, they're going to they're gonna hang that around your neck and try to ruin you with the fact that you didn't know going into the conversation right. what you're supposed to believe. And the very fact that you didn't know means you're some kind of monster. And that's what it's come to. I'm just one of the things. Just, so the life foot thing, I just want to be very clear in case that I don't, I am not offended. I am not insulted. I don't think anybody, virtually nobody white is really pained by the phrase Karen. I'm just saying that um, if we're trying to move to some sort of end game here, if there is a vision that any of these people have, like Robin D'Angelo, of what society is supposed to look like when once we improve it in 30 years from now, and we follow everybody, all the anti-racist advice, if, if that, what is that society supposed to look like? Can it really be that people will, st- will still be calling white people Karens? I mean, that just seems like a, a totally divisive society. We, it has to be based on principle. And that principle has to be that it's wrong to judge people by the color of their skin. And, if, and, if, and, if it's, and otherwise, we're doomed. We're a multiracial nation. We, we, have to get, we have to get rid of that idea. That has, to be, that's the, that has to be the third rail. You cannot judge somebody by the color of their skin. You have I to judge individuals, period. Gnome. I vote for Gnome 2024. Well, no, but you know what? To... People will not agree with me. Yeah, it just doesn't make any sense. Like, you know, if we're judging people by their actions, and we all know this is true, there are Karens on both sides of the fence here, okay? With Jesse Smollett, there's a new guy in the news who wrote that he he had some racist things, a college kid on his car, and it was all a lie. It, it's on both sides, so it makes no sense. Are they not Karens too? Here's a, here's a hypothetical I would ask Robin D'Angelo if Perriel ever gets her. So let's say our daughter, our mixed no. let's say our mixed race daughter, <laughs> let's say our mixed race daughter comes home with a with an African American boyfriend. Right. Yeah. Her dad says, "Hell no, you're not dating that black." Because that's that's racist, right? That's clearly racist. Yeah, because her mom was right. like, "Now what? Now what if her mother said to her, "Hell no, you're not dating that black." I know. Apparently, 
apparently by their theory, that's not racism because only white people can be racist. Yeah, but I'm so I would just black. say, Juanita, would you tell Mila? <laughs> <laughs> no, they're, 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 they're not racist too. No, they will not. That's the point. They, from that's what I'm, true. from what I'm reading about white fragility, they, they she actually believes that people of color cannot be racist. It really, it really reads that way. Because she's a crazy white lady. Who I just want to no, jump in. No, no, it's because also there's something about the power structure that is inherent in racism. If an oppressed person- Why? Where, where does that come into the, to the, to the definition of racism? I think it has a lot to- Well, that, that's the modern definition of racism. I want to just- uh, It doesn't uh, hold I, up. I just want to say that Todd sometimes gets uncomfortable with these conversations. Todd, do you, do you, uh... Todd is a heterosexual. Sorry, Todd! I'm laying back and listening. I'm good. Todd okay. is a full heterosexual. Well, be that as <laughs> it right, Todd. Um, you know, I don't I know, know this person you're talking about, D'Angelo. Who is that? Oh, that's the woman she wrote a book called White Fragility. Okay. Not White Frigidity, which is, a. Uh, Story about my ex girlfriend. <laughs> I owe, I owe. <laughs> there's a problem. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I hope you can get her on. I really want to talk to her. Well, you don't sound very confident in my abilities. If well, you could get a guy, it's not sick, a guy you could offer. An that to, no, I'm sorry. Is <laughs> that how she gets all the male guests, Perry? <laughs> I don't think she'll come on because I don't. I don't think she's the type that wants to. I mean, maybe you can. Maybe you can tell her, and it would be interesting to talk about, you know, how how in in the comedy workplace, I should internalize the lessons that she teaches. And by the way, some of the book is quite valid. I don't, you know, and, and that would be an interesting conversation. But um, I just feel like she only wants to talk to people um, who, you know, treat her like some kind of hero. What do you think of these Trader Joe's label? These foods that they have. Did you hear about this? Yeah, what well, we Trader Joe's like, a racist. They have like Trader Jose and then they have a Trader Asian thing and people, they're going to phase them out because yeah. people think it's racist. I mean, do they have a, tra a Trader Shlomo? They might. I don't know. I, I know they have Trader Jose. He owns the building. <laughs> but, well, I mean, it's, it's interesting because I don't see why it should be. It, it, I don't see what's wrong with it. I mean, it, 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 but I don't think anybody really cared about it. But what's happening, you get so tune into something, it things begin to bother you that wouldn't otherwise. And it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. You get you're caught up in a narrative that is coming at you from all sides and it, it becomes inescapable. And so you begin to see everything through the lens of race, which is the opposite of what Mr. Martin Luther King said about judging a man as content and not the color of his skin. It, it, you get cares, what a you know, actually uh, my my father Years ago, he met Dr. King, and he, Dr. King said, uh, hi, I'm Dr. King. And my father said, uh, it hurts when I go like this. And Dr. King, <laughs> Dr. King said, I'm not that kind of doc. I'm not that, I'm not that kind of doc. So, listen, you get, so, you get so caught up with that. I told this story, but it's really a true story. I was watching Star Trek. I was watching Star Trek. Yes, racist. Dr. McCoy gets mad. He goes, shut up, Spock, you half you half-breed, green-blooded son of a bitch. Right. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, Dr. McCoy. My word. <laughs> like, I really like, you can't, you can't talk about it being half-breed and green-blooded. Right. And, you know. <laughs> the, the Vulcans are, have a position of power in the galaxy so that it, it wouldn't be racist. 
I guess not. Obviously, if you hate somebody because of their skin color, um, well, there's no word for that, I guess. I mean, that's racism. That is racism. And if you're a... um, if you're a, a, a Jew and somebody pound and somebody um, a, minor, a minority group pounds yeah. your if head. you have if you have money, it's it's only racism in the current uh, discourse. If yeah. you are unempowered financially, you, 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 it's only racism. It's why you can say whatever you want about the Hasids and nobody will call you. You know, ethno, whatever. You know, it isn't racist. Uh, it isn't punishable by current contemporary okay, climate. But, but let me tell you why it's really, why that doesn't hold up. Oh, I know why it doesn't hold up. I'm just saying that seems to be the, the current, uh, you know, uh, colloquial racism. Well, let me give, let me give you why I, a reason that I think is not commonly talked about why it doesn't hold up. Yeah. It's the following, that if you look into why we consider racism bad, we consider it bad, supposedly, because it's actually not legitimate, meaning that it actually is not um, logically or uh, it is it's actually not logically correct to assume that somebody is something based on race. You should not assume that Jews are cheap because they're Jews. That would be, I mean, if Jews really were all cheap, Nobody could criticize you for that. It, it, it is wrong to generalize. And that's, and that will get, and if it's wrong to generalize, then calling somebody out because they're white is still indulging in that same anti-intellectual. Absolutely. And no, I don't think that's why racist. People... So maybe you want maybe they want to say, well, it's not, it's not the same because the power struggle. Well, yeah, I guess in a certain way, it's not the same, but you're embracing Untruths, but I, I don't think that's why people are horrified by racism. I think they're horrified by racism because they've seen the consequences of it historically. So if I said that, oh, redheads, she's a crazy redhead. You know how they are. People wouldn't be upset because redheads have not suffered. I, well, they may have suffered. No, actually, but, of course, but you're right there. But let's take it the opposite way. If she can call somebody a Karen, and she say, no, no. Well, what would she say? She could either say, listen, I, I didn't. I don't see how they can get out of that. If she can call somebody a Karen, the only she can say, "Yeah, I think white. I think it's perfectly fine to judge white people by the color of their skin." Like that's the only way out of it. If she says, "No, it's not fine to judge people by the color of their skin. I'm just doing it because it makes me feel good," then she's just saying, "Well, give me a break because I'm, um, you know, it, it, I have some hate in me and it makes me feel good to do it." But you're the mayor of Chicago. Like I, I could cut. I even cut Ilhan Omar a little bit of slack. Because she was raised in Somalia, and I imagine that she was kind of really brought up in an atmosphere where she heard a lot of untrue things about Jews. And, and you know, if you're brought up with that the whole time, maybe it's hard to break out of that. I cut her a little slack. Maybe I shouldn't, but I do. But the mayor of Chicago, a, 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 an American-born person, is just going to indulge in racial talk like that and then expect, like I said to Coleman, what kind of strategy is it to embrace everything you're trying to eradicate. That's what, like, I, I, we want to get rid of people talk, you know, hurling racial epithets. So let's just all do it ourselves. It doesn't make any sense. No sense whatsoever. Well, the ideology isn't just about making sense. It seems to serve an overarching objective, which has nothing to do with nuance and rationality and, and um, a sort of coming 
together, or, or sort of sort of creating a dialogue that both that everybody feels a part of, so that it doesn't become a game of gotcha, which is, uh, you know, I mean, right down to now. I, 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 had, I had expressed, excuse me, no, I had expressed some uh, thoughts about cats earlier in the podcast before Noam got here. That's right. And uh, I find I'm listening now. I'm listening. <laughs> and uh, perhaps I spoke out of turn, but I find them to be um, aloof Sneaky. and cold and shifty. Joy L. Johnson hates cats. She likes. So, so this is the last thing I'll say. Yeah, go ahead. Um, maybe you, so, Imperial. Since you're the you're the uh, you're the stand-in for everything woke and liberal, you can ask this. So, oh, no. so Mayor De Blasio was mayor for seven years. In those seven years, he got rid of stop and frisk, which I. I thought he should have gotten rid of it a long time ago. I was, I was in favor of that. And, and NYPD, NYPD was considered to be a pretty good police department. And he knew better than anybody what was really going on. And he, and he had seven years to, to deal with whatever he wanted to deal with. So then in his last year, some you know Nazi cop in Minnesota murders a black guy. And what does the mayor of New York say? Holy shit. I need to get rid of the anti-crime division in New York and I need 20% of the budget. I'll figure out later where to cut it from. But I just, I, this is what I need to do now. Now, obviously this is a rational process of anything. First of all, you don't even make the connection that what happened in Minnesota reflects what happened in New York. You were, you were, if if you do think it does, if you, then why didn't you do something about it the last seven years? Why cut money? I mean, why not? I mean, from every angle, it makes no sense. And if you just, and if you say, wait a second, I'm skeptical of this in a, in a problem solving way, as a businessman, like as somebody who I have, I have to, I have to optimize the police. So I'm skeptical of what's going on here. Now you don't care about the problem. That's now, now you got to be careful, but nobody could say this makes any sense. Why would you think because somebody's murdered in Minnesota, that you have to immediately have to cut the New York City anti-crime division. And about half of the NY New York Police Department is black. This doesn't make any well, sense. I don't think it's quite half. I mean, almost it's, half is, almost half is, half is, half almost is, half is non-white. No, no. Non-white. Oh, it's non-white. It's non-white. Okay. okay. So I, I, I was pulled over by an Asian, actually, about a year ago. <laughs> you, um, you're going 55.5 miles an hour? <laughs> <laughs> I made a left on uh, York in 70... Uh, Something would. That was pretty good, guys. <laughs> they didn't only <laughs> cut the anti-crime good. unit; they also cut the shelter outreach, and that's why we see so many homeless people now. Well, I don't know if that's taken into effect yet, but the anti-crime unit has actually been cut already. So, so, so you said that Periel represents all that is woke. So, yeah. does Periel have a woke, a woke explanation? Can she woke? Periel is a communist. A communist. She is. What are you? What am I being asked right now? Oh, you're being asked why does it make sense to cut the New York City police budget? Willy nilly. <laughs> All right, look. There's no answer. The issue is. Huh? The issue is that. I mean, we've discussed this at length, right? Like, I mean, I'm not going to be able to give you an answer that is anything that you haven't heard me say before. 
I mean, I don't know if, uh, you know, I, I can't speak to de Blasio's strategy for whatever the fuck he did. And I certainly think that, you know, turning New York City back into, you know, the, the murder rates seem like they've gone through the roof in the past, you know, few weeks or a couple of months or whatever. And that's a disaster, obviously. Um but, you know, I definitely believe that there's some really serious problems that do stem from racism. And those, I'm not saying that they're being addressed properly. Um, you know, changing the name of like Trader Jose to something seems absurd. But I do so, think... So, so what, what Perel has done is what's typical is that she zoomed out from a very specific question that, are, that a person really in a position of authority has to deal with. Okay. But I, I can't have, answer we, that question. I mean, I don't know what, what the, 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 the answer is obvious. Wait, uh, okay. Go ahead, my wife. Go ahead. Well, I, well speak I, to your truth. Sweetheart. I wouldn't answer truth. it the way that, I mean, it doesn't make sense to me to defund the, it's, all right, I have a friend, she's Italian. She thought that they were defunding the police. This is what she thought. She's white. She thought they were taking the money from the police to put it back into training for the police. This, this is not what they're doing. They were taking the money and putting, putting it back into the communities for social workers or whatever it is to help resolve these issues. That's Maybe. All. We don't even know that. We don't even know that. But that, that, that was the argument that, that the money could be better spent. about what defunding the police means. You know, but if you're taking out the anti-crime unit that's helping these minorities in these uh, places where they live, how are you, it just doesn't make any sense to me. And now they want it back. So many, uh, over the past three weeks, how many children, forget about adults killing adults, how many children have died over the weekends? Every time I turn on the news on Monday, I, it's, it's heartbreaking. You know? This is why. This is why the term is the externalities, which are the unintended consequences. Everybody gets caught up in that term, racial justice, and then the first thing they think is we're going to yank the the anti crime, plain clothes guys off the streets that really actually stop crime, and the first people that are hurt by that are the people that are most likely to be yelling, you know, for the BLM narrative are the people in vulnerable communities. It's not the people in the West Village getting shot yet. Not yet. It's like that. Uh, it's like the, the the White Walkers. What was that show on HBO where they had the Night's Watchmen on the wall? People forget. And I was out in Montclair in the suburbs, in a, you know, an affluent suburb, and I see these lawns, and it says racial justice. Nobody knows what that means from that context. You don't rip cops off the street that were stopping crime. You get the point. Right. Yeah, well, you, you have to get the... Ironically, felt the most... That, that racism was the most directed at them are going to be the most hurt by the unintended consequences of a policy like defunding or reorganizing in some sloppy way uh, the police. I would say the problems of the police are the following. Um, arrogance in the way they treat people, overreacting to situations which can lead to, you know, sh uh, manhandling, whatever it is. And, and finally... This may be the biggest problem, and I don't know how to solve it, which is the friction that comes when in the pursuit of the guilty, they end up dealing with the innocent. All the people who, 
who fit the description or look around or, or, or in, what, in whatever way or another, all the innocent good people minding their own business who find themselves with their liberty impinged or pinched, even if it's for a short amount of time, it's very it's, serious. There's no answer to this. Yeah. No. And, they, and the cop is the representation, even the polite cop. Yeah. The problem is that, that it's, hard, it's hard because you're, you're angry and you're not polite to the cop and then the cop may snap back and it escalates and this, this causes tremendous resentment in, in, towards the police. And that is a huge problem. It's real. And I don't see how just cutting money is going to, to change. No, it. no, I'm, uh, we, we, I just just shift gears a little bit because we have discussed this on the the uh, other uh, the main podcast. It's also the nature of proximity, Noam. If you're interfacing with the police or anybody else, it's almost like a friendship. Listen, I see Dan once a week. There are little things about him. We all love Dan, but there are little things. If you live with somebody or you interface with them on a regular basis, whatever problem, whatever agitative variable you're experiencing is going to be compounded. And so if you have the police coming into communities, as a white person living in a rough area in the Bronx years ago, I was pulled over far more than a Puerto Rican would have been on 165th and Woodycrest because I fit the description of somebody who was buying drugs. That's um, Anyway, Dove, Dove just alluded to the fact that he's certain things about me annoy him. One of those things is that the chicks like me better. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, you'll just have to learn to live with it. Noam, uh, what, are you going to be at the olive tree uh, anytime soon so I can see you in person? I'll go down there and make a special trip. Oh, he misses you, honey. He wants yeah, to see I would you like to see. Um, what's today? Today is Monday. Monday. Today is, uh, is, is Monday, yeah. You have to go get the mail for me. Um, let's say uh, Thursday. Okay, Thursday. Also, all, if you want to invite me over to your house for swimming and barbecue, I'm, I'm open to that as well. You have to take a rapid have you, COVID have test. Have you been tested? I haven't been. I, I have to bring my, my, my COVID slip. Where can yes. we get a rapid test? Do you know? A quick one? Um, I, I, there are places in the city I can find out for you. Dan is COVID-free but has rabies, ironically. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also want to say... In my defense, that I pronounced the word incorrectly. You were right; it is commensurate, but I, I used it other than that correctly. And so to answer, yes, you did. I knew that. I knew. And to, so the I, answer, how did you pronounce it? Commensurate or commen. And and so the <laughs> answer to the question: of When is it safe to ride the subway? Is when those numbers even out would be my answer to your question, Mr. Natterman. Oh, yeah, when those numbers even out, right? Yeah, like I, I was, before you came on, Noam, I was saying I took the subway to go to the olive tree, and Periel said that it's too dangerous to take the subway. And I said, at what point is it no longer too dangerous to take the subway? What, what, what you know, what, when, when can we, you know, start doing well, that? New York is pretty safe right now. There's, it's 1% one, 1 positive rate in COVID tests, and that's, I think that's among people who, Think they might have COVID, right? Um, it's it's definitely much safer than it was when we were walking around having a good time at the end of February in the first couple weeks in March, when we were all just packing in. Um, I I think you can, if you wear a mask. I mean, better if you don't take the subway, but I don't think it's. I think it's very unlikely to catch it in New York right now. Well, the point is that we have to, you know, go back to living our lives at some point. So at what point, yeah. you know, would that be? Unless we're just going to wait for the vaccine, which could be a year or more. You might have to uh, spend a little more money, Dan. <laughs> I was just going to make a bad 
But Dan, aren't you worried about Dan like subway crime? Wait, talk, talk, talk. Oh, sorry. Sorry, Todd. Go ahead. No, I, was, I was just going to shit on him for being cheap. Or <laughs> <laughs> um, broke. Well, not we're not Jewish, allowed bro. to say it's because he's Jewish, but. Whoa! But Todd, can, Todd, Todd can say because Todd is Jewish. Although people don't know that about Todd because he doesn't a doesn't mention it in his act. B uh, isn't overwhelmingly Jewish looking. <laughs> not to say he. I mean, he's, he's, he he has a look, but it's not a Jewish. Todd is a handsome man. I never second didn't know that Todd was Jewish. I never, I never, even, I never even actually thought of it. I just didn't. It was just part of the gestalt. I always knew he was Todd, uh, Jewish. But how would you know that? He doesn't seem it in any overwhelming way, does he? I didn't know Todd was Jewish. You didn't know that, Barry? No, I didn't. Oh. Maybe yeah. the name Barry. Barry something like Jewish name. Yeah. I feel My like name, easily, easily pass. You're, it's, it so, is your last name or it's not? It was originally B-A-R-I coming through Ellis Island and it got changed. But well, B-A-R-I sounds Italian. I know. It was Syrian now, I think. Oh, so, okay. Todd could be Italian. Todd grew up on a shtetl in eastern Poland. <laughs> so you're a Spartac Jew, Todd? No, I'm not. He's being... Oh. I'm, I just uh, had a Syrian. I gotta go help my kid build a bridge. Okay. Be nice to my wife. <laughs> uh, we're, we're, we're about to wrap things up. Oh, wrap it up? No. Well, I'm we're so glad to have you on. Pardon? Pardon? Was... <laughs> so... you let me... <laughs> I'm so worried about Juanita saying something wrong again. He's like my colored wife is Well, Juanita is of color, thus she has a certain latitude to say. He has a right. She can say pretty much anything, I would imagine. I mean, maybe not. But I, she does. I, 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 <laughs> yeah. We're not as, Juanita's got caramel skin that does not age. Um, she's made a deal with the devil or something. Take it easy, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it's just like little Dan will compliment my wife and it's like it's a little <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 he's, he's, no he's not far away from jerking off while he says it. <laughs> caramel skin and a fine ass, it doesn't it? Ca caramel skin so fine. <laughs> All right. Uh, um, we uh, that's about it for today's episode of Live from the Table. Thank you, Todd. For, for you're doing. welcome. Thank you for having and, me. And tomorrow that you can see Todd if you're willing to brave the COVID. You can see him in Brooklyn. Yeah. Where yeah, can people find that in find that information, Todd? Where can they find you? Well, I actually told the people to not advertise me. So, oh, okay. but if you go to the Fort Greene Park at around nine o'clock, you'll see a bunch of comments. Was it is it paid or is it gra gratis? It's a token payment. Okay, man, you come show me. What does that mean? That means it's not very much. Maybe they the small, yeah, subway like fare small, or whatever. A cab fare type situation. Well, yeah, the stand they just gave us something to eat. But you know, oh, they, really? Yeah, I mean they're they're not actually there was no cover charge. It was just the people that are they're eating, uh, and they gave them a show, a free show. So, you know, if you want to practice a joke or just get the rust off, you know, I'm sure they'd be thrilled to have you. By the way, if you want to contact Adele. Um, I already put in. They they don't give me a lot of spots there. And I think they're mad at me or something. Well, I don't know. That's between you and the uh, people that stand. But they don't have many spots to give, obviously, <laughs> right now. They only do, I think, one show a week. Um, thank you, Juanita Dwarman. Thanks for having me. Bye, Juanita. Nice to see you, Juanita. And uh, Bye -bye. You can I miss you guys. Well, we'll yeah, see you likewise. soon. I'm coming over. 
Um, podcast at ComedyCellar.com for questions, comments, and suggestions. I'm coming for swimming, not for any lascivious purposes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, fuck. Um, I, gotta watch I guess that's it. Quick. We'll see you next time at Live from the Table. All right. Is that bye. it? Follow us on bye, everyone. Bye, everybody. Live from the Table. Are we still recording or no? We are about to stop recording. All right, let's oh. talk about Dan. He's not here. Wait, 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 wait. wait. <laughs>